Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today and be with you today. We welcome our Appleton campus, online campus, Germantown campus, all those that are connecting with us. Wherever you are, it's really cool. People are checking in on Facebook, and so if you haven't done that, I, you, it's just kind of a cool deal to do that, uh, just to actually take your phone out and check in on Facebook. But last weekend, someone was uh, checked in in uh, Central America while they were tuning in and watching the Life Church, this uh, live cast uh, that goes at HD online. And so it's amazing. All over the world, people connect, sometimes missionaries in uh, various countries. Sometimes they're just people that are traveling abroad. Sometimes just people that got, get connected here. Uh, and uh, so a uh, really, really, really cool way to do that. Today, we're continuing our series on uh, struggles. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, don't you turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I want to kind of pick up just a little bit where we left off last week. That struggle is all about tension. Tension is a stretching or a strain. And that this struggle is something that we never completely eradicate, but it can be overcome or it can be managed in a healthy, successful way. And here's how it works. Before Christ, before you come into Christ, we talked last week about a guy named Fred. You remember Fred? If your name's Fred, we're not talking about you, but just maybe we are. But Fred gives his life to Christ. But before Fred comes to faith in Christ, Fred knows something's wrong. He just doesn't know what that is. He knows that he's missing something. He just doesn't know really what he's missing. And so what happens is Fred, basically, in our scenario last week, he comes to Easter service. So there are 84 decisions for Christ Easter weekend here at Life Church. And he comes to Easter service, and he basically, he basically encounters the presence of the Holy Spirit. He encounters who Jesus really is. And in doing so, when you do that, you always realize that you've got this thing called sin in your life. And there's a lot of people, a lot of good people in the world, that before they encounter Jesus, they just they know something's wrong, they just don't know what it is. And so the reality is, is when they encounter him, all of a sudden they realize, man, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so they invite Jesus Christ to come in their heart and their life. It's really pretty simple. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, we're going to talk about that today, says that the wages or the paycheck for sin is death. But that the, pay, the payment or the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so Fred gives his life to Christ. And what he realizes at conversion is that he's made up of flesh and he's made up of spirit. That he's, his flesh is his mind and his body, but his spirit is something that's eternal. And so in that moment, when Fred gives his life to Christ, Jesus comes in and he completely redeems his spirit. Now the struggle, Fred thinks this is going to be over with. Man, I'm never going to have any more problems. I'm never going to be tempted anymore. I'm never, going to do, I'm never going to deal with sin anymore. And we all laugh because it's just not reality. And so what happens is, is Fred gets up on Monday morning, and he doesn't look like Brad Pitt that day. He, his bills aren't all paid, uh, right? His girlfriend's still broken up with him. Uh, he's still, you know, the, the, he's still got to go walk the dog. The boss that he's working for is still a tyrant. Whatever it may be, he's still dealing with life. And so what happens is, is then you get into what we call AD, which is after death. This is a spiritual growth line, a spiritual timeline. Before I come to Christ, at the point I come to Christ, and then after I'm dead to my sins, spiritually speaking, and I'm living in this world. This is what I want to talk about today. How do I exist in this space? 
I've given my life to Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to crucify my flesh daily. How do I do that? How do I do that? Because here's what's happening. If you look at this, right here before Christ, where you are is that you are a slave to sin. You don't know it. You don't understand it. You don't completely comprehend it, but that's what's going on. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you realize that you've been serving this thing called flesh. Flesh is, is you know, it's, it's your sinful nature. It's, your, it's common to you. And so, so if you want to go do something, you go do it. If it feels good, do it. That's what the world says. That's a, a flesh mindset. And all of a sudden you realize, man, I've become a slave to sin. And at, at this point where you go, I'm going to do away with the flesh. I'm going to try to crucify my flesh. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I am saved. Period. That happens. And what you experience here is this unreal amount of freedom. I mean, you're just freedom. Just you're free to live your life. You're free. You're no longer a slave to sin. But you wake up on Monday morning and you still realize, hey, there's some things I still have to deal with. I'm still dealing with me. I'm still dealing with this flesh. I'm still dealing with thoughts in my mind. I'm still dealing with actions in my life. I'm still dealing with addictive behaviors. Whatever, look, everybody deals with sin. It's a reality. It's the struggle that never goes away. Not until we get to, to heaven. That's the reason why, that's the reason why, let me say it this way. That's the reason why death Physical death, and although none of us want to die, that's the reason why Jesus says, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Because, as Paul the Apostle says, to be absent in this physical fleshly body is to be present with the Father. So when I'm absent in this body, I'm present with the Father. The day that I die, the struggle is over. And my mortality, my mortal limited body, the Bible says, will take on immortality. This flawed flesh will be traded in for a body that will never sack or drag. Amen? <laughs> it never needs to be nipped or tucked. Mm, that's right. Don't shout me now when I'm preaching good. You understand? Now everybody wants to get to heaven. Hallelujah. All right. So Anyhow, but that's but 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 you but for that moment when you come to faith in Christ, man, because your spirit's alive for the very first time, your spirit's alive, and so you're free in Christ, and so but you're and but you're here and you're battling this, and so this is where you have to come in at this after death point, and you've got to make a decision to become a slave to righteousness. Um, righteousness, so okay, so a slave to righteousness. I'm going to talk about how do you do this. How do you live in this area? How do you do this? How do you keep this freedom moving? How do you crucify the flesh? We're going to look at it in Scripture today. How do we do that? Now, let me give you a couple of definitions that are going to be on the screen. These are just some working definitions, so we're all talking about the same thing. Okay? I went on Friday, um, and I went to eat at a restaurant, which is one of my favorite little dives to go to. And uh, here's the thing. Uh, there are certain things I don't eat north of the Mason-Dixon as a kid growing up in the south. I don't eat grits north of the Mason-Dixon. I don't do biscuits and gravy north of the Mason-Dixon. Uh, I don't do catfish north of the Mason-Dixon. And you don't even know what hush puppies are. Anybody know what hush puppies are? You're going to heaven. I'm just telling you. You're blessed. So, but, but there are things that I love that I eat in Milwaukee that I don't, I don't go to Arkansas and get a brat. Do you understand what I'm saying? Something weird about that. 
And uh, my dad, the first time my dad came here uh, and we were at Miller Park, my, my dad said, I'm going to have a brat. I said, it's a brat. He says, what I said, I want a brat. So the guy looks at me, he says, you want a brat, sir? He says, yeah, I want a brat. He said, do you want a brat? He said, I want a brat. I said, he wants a brat. That's what I said, I want a brat. So I'm just saying, like, you just don't do that in Arkansas, okay? And I was at this restaurant, and I go, like, Friday fish fries. I love Friday fish fries. And I have, I have a dive that I go to. And so the, the guy comes out, the waiter comes out, and he's trying to sell us on today's special. And today's special was a catfish po' boy. I don't eat those north of the Mason-Dixon. And here's why. Because he begins to tell me how you don't deep fry catfish. I'm like, you, 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 you lost me there. So... I want to make sure we're all talking about the same thing, right? So the first definition is flesh. Flesh is a physical aspect of humanity. It's your mind and your body. That's when it's flesh. It's the old nature. The second definition is spirit. I gave you this last week. But spirit, it's the immaterial aspect of humanity. It's the immaterial aspect of humanity. It's the soul of a person. It's the only thing that's eternal. This spirit is what's redeemed at salvation. Your flesh is not redeemed. That's why there's the battle. That's why there's a struggle. That's why there's a tension. Next definition is law. The law is God's rules for living. That's the easiest way to understand it. Uh, Yes, it's scripture, but not entirely scripture. Because the New Testament would be the good news. It would be the new covenant. The Old Testament would be historical in documentation. It would also be prophetic in documentation. And the first five books of the Old Testament would be historical and law, which would be the Mosaic law, the law that God gave Moses... That's God's rules for living. The Jews believe that if you practice what we would call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, it's how to live in right relationship with man and with God. The next is grace. Grace is unearned favor. I'm just going to tell you, I'm really going to try to introduce you to a lot of these concepts that it may take a lifetime to basically scratch the surface. Grace is one of those. The next word is slave. I use it up here. Slave to sin, slave to righteousness. Slave is a servant. I am serving dot, dot, dot. In the words of the great theologian Bob Dylan, you're going to serve somebody. And it's true. And so the reality is, is who are you going to serve? So you're going to be a slave to somebody. And the last definition that's really going to be appropriate for today is truth. Truth, when Paul talks about it, is the gospel message. What's the gospel message? That Jesus sets you free from sin and death. That's what you encounter here. That Jesus sets you free. He sets your spirit free from sin and from death. And so that you're able to live this out. You're able to do this. So that's, that's some working definitions. Now, in order to do this, there's two basic ways that we're going to live in freedom. That we're going to have this freedom. The first is, is dying to sin. How do I die to sin? How do I die to this? How do I overcome this flesh? How do I overcome? And let me help you with this today. Everybody in this room has something you're dealing with. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's debt. You just like to swipe your way to happiness and you live beyond your means. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's rebellion to your parents or people that are in authority. Maybe it's your attitude. Uh, You just have a horrible attitude because you've let bitterness and you've let past rule you. I don't know what your sin of choice is. Here's what I know. Everybody, myself included, deal with something. Think about that as we walk through this, and this will help explain and understand this. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. I'm going to read this. You can read this with me. It's going to be on the screen, and you can also uh, there in your Bible. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No. He's asking rhetorical questions. Like, are you going to go jump off the bridge if everybody else does? 
Verse 2, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. If we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8, now if, it's a great word, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Parenthetical thought, death is no longer master over us when we give our life to Christ. That's the good news. Verse 10, that death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives unto God. Verse 11, in the same way, count or consider, reckon, whatever version of the Bible that you have, yourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ and Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of righteousness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of, of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So look, I'm going to just try to give you an overview of what he's saying here. Again, I'm not trying to go word by word. I'm not trying to exegete scripture from the original language to, to today. I'm not even trying to, to, we're not doing diagramming sentences. It's just giving you what's he trying to say here. You understand it, but, but let, let's package it in a way that we can get it. Verse 2 and 3, he asked two questions. He introduces two questions into this conversation of struggle. Verse 2, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's highlighting the fact that believers no longer serve their old master. He's really trying, it's exaggerated. It'd be like if you said, hey, you know, to your kids, if everybody in your school goes and jumps off a bridge, you're going to go jump off the bridge too. You're not really wanting your child to go jump off the bridge, nor are you trying to tell them to follow everybody else. You're trying to say, it's just stupid. You know, you wouldn't do that. that that's what he's trying to do in verse 2. He's highlighting the fact that we as believers no longer have to be bound to the flesh, but we're alive in our spirit. The second thing in verse 3 we see here is he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? He introduces a concept, I don't have time to go into it today, that would be called, that theologians would call identification. And what he's saying here is this, is that the same way that Christ lived, died on the cross, was put in the grave, and rose again, you and I identify with his death symbolically through baptism. So water baptism. You come into the tank completely dry before Christ. You get into the water and you are completely submerged. You come out, and you're no longer a slave to the old man, to the flesh, but you're a slave to righteousness. In the same way that we do this externally, that's the reason why water baptism is so powerful, because it's, it's symbolic of what Jesus Christ did. That's why Jesus did it as an example for us. And everywhere in Scripture, you never see an infant or a child baptized. You see adults or people that understand right from wrong, 
So age of accountability, somewhere nine, somewhere around 10, 11, 12, and beyond. People, the children under, again, understand this is right, this is wrong. I get to choose. I want Jesus Christ to come into my heart, into my life. I make a decision to follow Christ, and they follow him in baptism. That's what that means. And so what, what Paul's saying here is in the same way that we've identified with him in water baptism, we've also identified that this is what he's done. And when we come up out of the water, we are no longer bound by the flesh. Death no longer is a master over us, as he will say in verse 14. But we're alive in our spirit. But there's still this struggle. There's still this issue. There's still this going on. So how do I deal with that? He basically walks through this passage and gives us three specific changes that we need to make in our own lives that help us. First change is that we need to know the truth. Know the truth. That's an issue of your mind. Verse 6, he says, knowing this. You've got to understand it. You've got to know. You've gotta, that, that's the reason why I'm teaching this. You need to make sure that you understand what's going on. You know that this is where you were before Jesus. You were a slave to sin. But when you found Jesus and you understood your own sin and you gave your life to Christ, that you're, all of a sudden you're no longer bound to the flesh, but you're, but, but you're completely given to the Spirit. And you've got freedom in you because you're a slave to righteousness. So you have to know this. You have to understand this. That's the reason why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's by faith that we've been saved. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves is the gift of God, lest any of us shall boast. That's the reason why I'm spending time to teach this. Do you understand this cognitively? Do, does this register? These are things you need to be able to even explain to your children. You can walk. You can take a dinner napkin at a restaurant and explain this. Because it's simple. Why preachers make this complicated, I have no idea. It's simple. It's the gospel. Remember the truth of the gospel? The truth means it's God's, it's God's, it's the gospel message. The gospel message is what? That Jesus sets us free from sin and death. So you have to know this truth. Secondly, you've got to not only know this truth, you've got to claim this truth. Verse 8 tells us, if, it's conditional on the rest of the phrase, if you have died with Christ, then you can live in this truth. This is a hard issue. Verse 11 says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Other versions of the Bible say, uh, count yourself, the NIV says. Uh, another version says, reckon. I like the word claim. I know this is not a great analogy, but I think we'll all understand this. If you have the winning lottery ticket, I'm not saying you should go do the lottery. My mother will email me on this later. Um, right? But if you have the winning lotto number, but you don't claim the prize, it's, it's worthless. It's just a piece of paper. If you understand in your head this, but you never claim it in your heart, it's worthless. This is where we live at in Wisconsin. We're almost inoculated with the gospel. Because everybody you ask them, well, they were raised in church somewhere. They were confirmed Lutheran. They were baptized Catholic. Somewhere, somewhere we were there. And all of a sudden we've got this head knowledge, but it never comes into our heart. The Bible says, Romans 10, 9, and 10, if I confess with my mouth and, now it's not a singular action, it's a both and, and believe in my heart. Not just do I know who Jesus is, not do I just know the virgin birth, not do I just understand that he's the son of the living God, but do I understand it here and I believe it. See, I've got to claim that truth. I've got to go back to that truth. Because David says in the Old Testament that out of my heart flows the issues of my life. This heart of mine, this is, the most, this is the most wicked 
and righteous thing organ in my, in my body, in my being. It's not just enough that I know it. I have to believe it. I have to claim this truth. What's the truth? It's the good news. It's the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ came and that he forgave me of my sin. And I, I may struggle, but I no longer have to be bound. I can overcome this. I can overcome this thing called flesh. I can be free because I'm a slave to righteousness. And I have to tell my heart. And I have to claim the truth. And I've got to constantly go back to that. That's the reason why the, the Bible is so powerful. That's the reason why you need to make sure that the, you're not just getting scripture on the weekend, but that you're in a daily devotional. That means you need to be daily reading God's word. You need to be in a life group where you're reading God's word. Why? Because it goes back to God's word. You hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against God. You memorize scripture because that's, that's how you know. That's, what, that's how you do it. Look, a lot of people will say, man, you can just spout off scriptures and da 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 I didn't learn that in Bible college. I learned that growing up in a Christian household. My dad was not a pastor. But I can't tell you how many times I would come in from being at a ball game or, or come in from, from a date or come in from hanging with my friends. And my dad would be sitting in the living room. He had a brown Thompson chain reference Bible. I'll never forget with his name and gold on the front and sitting there in the easy chair. And he's reading scripture. I was taught, not just by a mother that prayed and read scripture. Ladies, you should do that. But men, be men of God. Let your young men see what it means to be a man of God. My dad never backed down from anybody. My dad is about as tenacious as they come. My dad is not a very emotional man. I've only seen my dad cry twice in my lifetime. I mean, my dad is a man's man. But I would see him open God's word. I would see him do this. Even to today, my dad will call me and go, I was reading a passage of scripture, Aaron, and I'm trying to understand what the author is saying. Could you help me understand it? i got to know it in my heart. And the last thing is, verse 13 says, I've got to present this truth in my body. When we were living in sin, we presented our bodies. We were, we were a slave to the flesh. We were a slave to sin. We presented our bodies. Our bodies took us to the bar. Our bodies took us to the nightclub. Our bodies took us to illicit relationships. Our body was involved in, in, in addictive behavior. Our body did whatever we were compulsively wanting to do. But when we came into an understanding that sin was destroying our body and that, and, that, and that God wanted to set our spirit free and he wanted to help us crucify the flesh and overcome, we become a slave to righteousness. So as I used to present my body to, to be a slave to sin, now I present my body as a slave to righteousness. Now I say, God, here I am. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to act? Let me help you with this. This is where a lot of people live. I'm fixing to preach really good right here. This just hit me. Woo. All right. A lot of people do this. This is the world. This is church. This is the world. So they just kind of cut it off here and go, no, this is, this is church on Sunday, and this is my work. And never the two shall meet. If you live life like that, can you go to heaven? Sure. But you're going to be sorely disappointed when you get there. Because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I'll present my life to Christ on, on the weekends. But, man, on Monday I'm making deals, I'm spinning wheels and making deals. It's just business. If you're a businessman or businesswoman and you think like that, you've not truly been regenerated in your spirit. I'm just telling you. God either saves you or he doesn't. And what you're allowing to do, even if this is happening, is you're allowing this to rule. And you're jumping from here on Monday through Friday, and you're here on Sunday. What do you call that? A hypocrite. Oh, my God, somebody shout me down. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's not the way to live. I'm telling you that you can live for Jesus in the workplace, in the marketplace. 
into every man's world. God called you to be that person. God called you and gifted you with that vocation. God blessed you with that job. God blessed you with that. So use that for him. Are there tough choices to make? Yes, because you live in a world where people are slaves to sin and you're a slave to righteousness. So you've got to make some tough choices. Read the Bible. That's why he gave it to us. The book of Daniel. Daniel lived under three different secular, pagan, completely sinful administrations. And he lived for God the entire time. And yeah, there was a day he was thrown in lion's den, but God provided for him. Our problem is we don't want to go to the lion's den anymore. We don't, we, we, don't, we <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know about that. Can I just tell you, if you're going to be a slave to righteousness, it is a full contact sport. People are not going to like you. Why do you think people are going to like you? I lead for a living. There's a lot of people that don't like me. I'll tell you who they are. I mean, they unfriend me all the time on Facebook and everything else. It's the world I live in. Because they don't like this. They, they don't like this. I don't understand that. You understand what I'm saying? I'm digressing. i got to go on. But this is how we die to sin. We present our bodies. God, here I am. Whatever you want is yours. My life is yours. My job is yours. My business is yours. And God's not wanting to take it from you. He just wants you to bless you. Do you understand that? It delights the heart of God. Have you ever asked your child, if you're a parent, to give you something that you really didn't want, you just wanted to know if they'd be willing to give it up? If they live life selflessly? Or if it was all mine? I think God does that to us sometimes. He really doesn't. He doesn't need it. He's God, right? He can do anything he wants to do. But he just wants to know, do you trust me? Do you trust me with your business? Do you trust me with your career? Do you trust me with your choice and decision? Do you trust me with your children? Do you trust that I want good for you? That's how we do that. I want you to note verse 14 of Romans 6. Sin shall not be a master over you. Then you are not under the law but under grace. Let me just say this. What happens is it's not that you no longer fulfill Scripture. Go back to verse 1. Shall we continue sinning? Absolutely not. The reality is, is that I am now free not to have to worry if I make a mistake or if I make a misstep. Am I pursuing God? If I get to the left or to the right, his grace is sufficient. God's grace upholds you. And condemnation is not something that comes from, the, from, from God. It comes from the enemy. Condemnation is a perversion from the pit of hell. If you feel condemned today over sin that you've already asked God to forgive you of, that's a work of the enemy. That's Satan. That's why the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. How are you so certain on this, Aaron? Because John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world. Condemnation does not come from God. Conviction when I'm doing wrong, that I shouldn't be doing this, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of God. In my life going, Aaron, you don't need to be here. Aaron, you don't need to be doing this. Aaron, you need to back up. God, forgive me. You're right. I should do this. I've already asked God to forgive me of a sin or forgive me of a mistake, and I just keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. I'm living under the law because the law says you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But grace says you're forgiven. Law says you're worthless. Grace says, no, you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. The law says you'll never make it. Grace says greater things shall you do because I go to the Father for you. You see the difference? 
That's where we live over here as a slave to righteousness. So the second thing that we have to do, I, oh, let, let, let me read this real quick about grace, and I'm going to move on. This is by uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll. Great statement. Grace is not of this world. It's supernatural in origin. It's unfathomable to a depraved mind. So it should be of no surprise that a newly emancipated, a newly free spirit struggles to understand and apply something so foreign to its old nature. If you presently struggle with a particular repetitive or compulsive sin, you likely suffer from the delusion that you will never loosen its grip on you. I won't insult you by saying that the transformation will be easy. It isn't. However, the truth is uncomplicated. If you are a believer, if you've accepted God's free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, you have within you the spiritual riches beyond your imagination, the power to overcome any evil that lives within you. So when you know it, you claim it, and you present yourself to God, you have the ability to die to sin. All right, so I can die to sin. The next part of this freedom is that I'm going to live for him, living for him. How do I walk in this freedom? How do I live in this freedom? Let's read on in verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Which means just because I've been given grace doesn't mean I just go do whatever I want to do. No, no, God still wants me to, 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 to pursue righteousness. Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... Uh, of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, through, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. Verse 18, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves uh, to, as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at the time, the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, verse 15 through 19, Paul's boldly declaring to us that we no longer are compelled to serve sin or to accomplish the purposes of righteousness. The good news of that is that we no longer have to be bound by this. We can, even though there's going to be a struggle, we can overcome. We can overcome that. Verses 20 through 23 says we may freely choose to obey sin and reap its sorrowful consequences, or we may, may, may choose to obey Christ and share in his glory. The reality is that we're all going to serve something. It's just a matter of what. You're going to serve something. You're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. You choose. You've given your life to Christ. You no longer have to go back here, but you're still contending with this flesh. And so the flesh comes up. Remember I told you about the sin? We all deal with some sin, so think about that sin. When that sin comes up in your life, you, you've already, you've, you have, have, uh, have died to sin through conversion. You're dying to sin by knowing and claiming and presenting your life on a regular basis. But this thing still keeps popping up from time to time. There's still a struggle. There's still a tension. But you have a choice. Theoretically, you never have to sin again. Theologically, according to what Paul just said, you never have to give in to this again because the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you now. 
You can't overcome. Why is it that we don't always choose this and we choose that? Why is it that we, let's just put it in, in our terms, why is it that I choose chocolate cake and I don't choose an apple? It's because it's me. Right? Got myself all spanked up today. So I want to eat that chocolate cake where I ate an apple. Right? It's, that's it. At the end of the day, it's, it's me. And so, but I have this choice. See, the power you have is a choice. And so the tension is never going to go away. But you can overcome this. And you overcome this by, first of all, dying to sin. We talked about that. But the second thing is every day choosing to live for Jesus. Are you going to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? You choose. In your job, a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, you choose. In your relationship, a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, you choose. In your choices, a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, you are now free to choose. Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you didn't know any different. You were ignorant. You have the power to choose. You have the ability to choose. What are you going to serve? See, there's, there's two basic problems with this. First, it's, pro, it's, it's possible to be a slave to something and think you're free. That's where we were when we were sinners. We really thought we were making our own choices. But the truth of the matter is we were just a puppet on a string. When our body said we wanted something, we gave into it. When our body said we want that, we did that. When our body said stop, we stopped. We were a slave to sin. But there's another issue that after we come to faith in Christ, it's possible to be free and think that you're enslaved. It's possible to experience all of this and be right here and not be a slave to righteousness, which actually brings life. But to actually be here and not realize that I have the choice and the ability to die to sin and to live for God. Counseling offices are full. And I'm not against counselors. I go see somebody regularly. I want to get all the, the stuff I'm dealing with out. I need good biblical counsel in my life. But there's counseling offices around the world that are filled with Christians that have accepted the fact that they're always going to be a slave to sin and they've given into flesh instead of becoming a slave to righteousness. I'm always going to battle with this. I'm always going to deal with this. I'm always, they're shackled to their compulsions. They hide in shame, and they're unaware that they now worship a God that doesn't demand of them but empowers of them. See, here's the deal. That's the reason why the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. This is death. But the gift of God is, is, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the enemy of your soul wants to say, this is always going to be dominant. You can't overcome this. You can't do this. You'll never make it. You're not good enough. You're not whatever. And this comes back to the law. The law says I have to be perfect. I have to dance perfectly. I've got to walk perfectly. I've got to think perfectly. I've got to act perfectly. I've got to be perfect. Read the law. I mean, it is intense. But grace comes in and says, hey, grace comes in. Jesus comes in and he pays the tab. He completely pays for everything. So when you accept him into your life, you live in grace. That doesn't mean that you just get to go get drunk on Saturday night and say, God, forgive me on Sunday morning. 
That you go have an affair and go, God, forgive me, and then all of a sudden you go back to it. No, 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 no. We read verse 15. Should we continue to sin just because we have grace? Absolutely not. He says it in verse 1. He says it again in verse 15. Why is he repetitive? Because he wants to make you understand grace is not a welcome mat to wipe your feet off on. But grace says that when you make a mistake and when you fail, that God will make up the difference. That you don't have to be a slave to sin that leads to death. You can be a slave to righteousness. And you don't have to be bound to flesh. You don't have to do that. You can overcome that by dying to your sin and by serving, choosing to serve him. So I just want to give you just four simple things very quickly and then we're going to pray and be done that help you when you're struggling with this. Because this is where we live. Guys, we all deal with this. I don't care if you've been saved for a day or for a hundred years, we all deal with this. First thing, when think about that sin that you deal with. When it comes, when the temptation of that sin comes, flee from the temptation. Physically remove yourself from the situation. Seriously. Physically move. Get up, move. Go walk around the block. There's 12 feet of snow. Great. Put some snow boots on. Better that you live in Christ than you die in sin. Move from where you are. Physically change your routine. Move from where it is. If your addiction is on that computer screen, shut it down and walk away. If it's it's with somebody that you're around, move physically so you're not around that person. Move your locale. Physically move yourself. Pace a place plus Plus, um, uh, I just lost my thought. Basically, when you move in essence, you, you, you get a complete different perspective. And what happens many times is we, we, get, we have these, these activities and we all of a sudden it just kind of, sometimes it comes out of nowhere. Sometimes it's something that this is a repetitive situation. It's flee the temptation. Secondly, do something that brings honor to God as an alternative. So don't just walk. Don't just physically move from that place. Don't just remove whatever that object is. But in that moment, do something. Do a spiritual activity. Prayer. Reading God's word. I, I used, to tell, used to tell when I was a youth pastor, you're dating and all of a sudden it gets to be like a little bit like you're getting kind of close and, you're, and it's going to become intimate and you're fixing to cross the line. Just go to George Webb. It'll kill the mood every time. Do you understand? You need to find a George Webb. Get a cup of coffee, that smell of grease, and the short order cook with the SAS, shoes and support hose. It'll kill it every time, I'm just telling you. Next, thank God for providing freedom to choose him over wrongdoing. Take it as a moment to go, God, thank you that I'm not an animal that's a slave to sin that leads to death. But that though though I'm battling this in my spirit, I'm struggling with this, I can overcome this because I'm a slave to righteousness which leads to life. And I thank you that I have the ability to choose because I'm not bound to the law, I'm under grace. For by grace I've been saved through faith and that not of myself is a gift of God, lest I should boast. And the last thing I would do is try to discern what triggered the temptation and avoid that. If the temptation is happening because you're at a job that keeps bringing that up, find another job. God will open the door. Do you trust him? If he's wanting you to live this way and not this way, he'll provide. If it's, if it's that, you know, 
quite frankly, if it's because it's your a, a, a digital device and you're bound to pornography, there's all types of software that you can put. There's all types of accountability that can be there. And just knowing that someone's going to see that or that that's going to somebody else, that all of your search searches, all of your stuff is going to somebody else to see, is enough to go, I, I don't want to do that. What's triggering it? What's triggering the need for the drink? What's triggering the need for, for, for the prescription drugs that you know you're abusing? What's triggering that need to just to want to gossip and slander someone? What's triggering? What's the insecurity? What's going on? This is where you may need to sit down and talk to a counselor and go, here's what's happening. I'm battling. You want to go to a Christian counselor for this. And again, I would recommend you call the church. And we're partnered with New Life Resources, an incredible counseling center and resource that will be there for you. But I'm dealing with this. How do I overcome? What's my trigger point? How do I navigate through this? That's positive. That's not reactive. That's active. It's intentional. What's reactive is when you've crashed and burned and you've lost everything and you're sitting there in a puddle of tears going, I know I did wrong and I don't, I'm not really sure how I got there. Can you help me? When Humpty Dumpty is in a million pieces, that's when it's difficult. But when Humpty Dumpty thinks he's about to fall off the wall, when he's teetering and tottering to go to someone and say, I need help, I don't want to crash and burn, that's when it's powerful. What are those triggers? Find them, avoid them, change in your life. I know this is way oversimplified, but I hope this is some steps. I hope this is some understanding of how this works so that you can begin to live in this freedom.